Welcome to Beyond the BEO, an event planner's podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Doe Nicholson, and this is episode six. This episode is brought to you by The Right Stuff Agency, a digital marketing agency making your business sound as good as it looks. And GateCheck, a new subscription box made for travel lovers. Use the code BEO discount to get $5 off your subscription. Welcome back to episode six. This week, I am privileged to have two guests joining us, Julian Jacob from Julian Co., a boutique event planning and public affairs agency in Ottawa, Ontario. Julie McNamara is an award-winning event planner and a communicator. Drawing from her experience working on Parliament Hill early in her career, Julie knew she wanted to combine her formal education in public relations and her experience in event planning to form her own firm. Slowly dipping her foot into the world of being an entrepreneur, she created a boutique event planning company. After being listed on Chatelaine's 40 Under 40 list, she knew it was time to take the plunge and expand with Julian Co. into what it is today, a boutique event management and public affairs firm. Jacob Gorenkoff brings a penchant for creative energy, big ideas, and a genuine love of helping others to his role of public affairs lead at Julian Co. Building on his formal education in political management, he's built a career out of working with businesses and other organizations committed to building stronger, more inclusive communities. We talk about lobbying events, and how events can really help bring your organization's mission and purpose into those that need to hear it. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome. Thank you so much um, for both of you joining us today. So we have Jacob and Julie from Julie & Co. And so I'd like to get started with just allowing both of you to introduce yourselves and telling us a bit about how you got started in the industry and what what you do in the events industry. For sure. So I'll kick things off. My name is Julie and I'm the founder and CEO of Julie & Co. This is somehow my 12th year in the event industry, which like I can't believe. I don't know if others can, but I have a hard time with that. I started this whole thing as a side hustling wedding planner and then made it into a legit business while I was honing my skills as a corporate event manager in the not-for-profit sector. From there, I went to Parliament Hill and was a staff event planner there. But nowadays, you can find me managing the team at Julian Co., as well as the occasional wedding, but definitely at all of our corporate events. Yes, uh, Ju Julie always gives such great introductions. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll try to follow it up as best I can. My name is Jacob Gorenkoff, and I'm the public affairs lead at Julian Co., Julie just couldn't get enough of working with me at the Canadian Housing and Renewal Association. So she roped me into Julie & Co. to help build out her business in a really, really cool, unique way. And when I say unique, I mean, it's very unique. At, at Julie & Co., we offer a diverse suite of advocacy and communication services with a really integral component of those being what we're here to talk about today, which are lobbying events. And that's a lot of what I do for the Julie & Co. team as a public affairs professional. Lobbying events are really important activities for a whole manner of organizations that can really benefit from the work that we're doing, especially when it's being led by a really accomplished, dedicated event planner like Julie. Oh, that's great. Thank, thanks so much. <laughs> Such nice things to say about you, Julie. Next um, time, just working at CHRA, I had to like bring him into my business too. I was like, they can't hog all of your good skills. I need some of that sprinkled through Julian Co. We need to spread it around. Exactly. Exactly. And so maybe you can also tell us, you know, kind of what drew you to the industry, both of you, like what, what kind of gets you up in the morning when it comes to the events industry? 
Yeah, I kind of have two reasons and they're they're kind of different. The first is that the joy and happiness that events often bring to people. Um, I think humans, for the most part, are really social and they really enjoy being with other people despite this, these past two years. So starting in weddings, that joy and happiness is a little bit more evident. But the, that like the buzz that you get when you're at a conference or at a lobbying day or, or anything like that, that really gets me excited and out of bed in the morning. And then the second is that no two events are the same, especially at Julian Co, because we do everything from weddings to these corporate events or political, more political events. Um, and that means my work day to day is never the same. So I think that that's that's amazing. And that's what kind of drew me into the events industry. Great. Yeah, for me, I would also say that I have two reasons. Uh, there's Julie's magnetism and a love of finger foods. That's what brought me to the events industry. Um, maybe also cocktails, probably cocktails too. But uh, all, all jokes aside, there, there's a lot of truth about what Julie said about events being related to happiness and joy. And it, I, I totally agree with that. But to me, they're also about providing an opportunity for people to come together to build relationships. And relationships are at the heart of public affairs work. In, in my experience, Lobbying events are a key part of relationship building. And in addition to the sense of accomplishment that Julie and I get from putting these events together and making sure that they go off without a hitch, you, you also are responsible for getting people together to start building these relationships and getting things done in the advocacy world. That's perfect. I think I will also say two things and I will steal them both from you, both the buzz and the finger foods. So I think it's a consensus among event professionals of, of like what, I mean, probably the buzz gets us there and the finger foods keep us there, I think is really what it comes down to. So really excited to talk to you both about lobbying events. It's really something that I'm not familiar with at all in the industry. It's one of those things that, you know, when I met Julie, I was like, oh, I guess, yes, of course those exist and someone plans those. So, you know, maybe for those who are unfamiliar with lobbying events, can you tell us more about what they are and how they work? Yeah, so to understand the benefits of lobbying events, it's important to understand what advocacy is and why it's important to engage, engage in it. I would define advocacy as mobilizing support for a particular policy or cause. And whether we think about it or not, our lives are shaped in part by policies or rules that are set by our governments. And engaging in advocacy is how we shape the policies that shape our lives, whether that's how we conduct business, how we live our personal lives, or many other things. The act of engaging in advocacy allows us to win over politicians that make the policies, the, the staff that support them, and the public for whom the politicians and staff. And as I said before, effective advocacy requires building relationships, and there really is no better way to do that than through lobbying events that Julie is so experienced in putting on. Organizations can hold lobbying events at any level of government, so federal, provincial, territorial, or local. But for the sake of simplicity with our explanation of what they are, I think Julie and I are going to try to stick to using more federally focused language, like saying parliament rather than Queen's Park or legislature or city hall or uh, MP for member of parliament rather than member of the legislative assembly or a city councillor, you know, just to try to keep it a little consistent. Um, but yeah, but back, back to your question, now that I've digressed a little bit, lobbying events have one simple goal, and that's to deliver your message to as many MPs, staffers and media representatives as possible over a short defined period of time. I would like further split lobbying events into two categories. You have those that you do at Parliament or, you know, the legislature, City Hall, and those that you do at home in your community. So they're, they're more focused on, you know, being closer to home. 
The events at Parliament are typically called lobby days uh, or advocacy days or fly-in days. And I prefer lobby days. I think it sounds nicer. They're meant to show the larger, more national significance of an organization's issue. So think more macro level, like the, the big picture sort of thing. And they work in two ways. You can either organize them as lining up as many meetings with MPs or senior staffers with representatives from the organizing group as possible within a limited time period. That's typically one to two days. Or you can hold open house style receptions, but like networking events, basically, during which representatives of the organization can schmooze with legislators in a less formal environment. Typically, what you'll see is organizations doing some combination of both. And that's what we recommend doing at Julie & Co. Julie, do you, do you want to jump in on anything that I said or like before I move on to the at-home events or should no, I just keep, so, keep rambling? It's so great to listen to somebody else explain what these are because sometimes <laughs> I get so wrapped up in like the event side. It's so great to hear the other side of it. But no, Jake's right about the what we recommend is, is that mix of both because as we'll talk about later, that networking or that mixer or that schmoozing event is really where the magic happens and, and can be a secret to the success of a lobby day. Yeah, exactly. And then you you couple those amazing events that Julie is so talented at putting on with the these at-home events that are meant to demonstrate the significance of an organization's issues at home in their communities. So whereas the, the events closer to Parliament are more national in scope, more macro level, these are more micro level and targeted at the significance of issues at home. And, and keep in mind, like any elected representative is thinking about the people that they represent in their community, right? So they, they want to see that um, what you're talking about impacts the, their constituents. So I'm really a huge fan of doing these at-home campaigns, especially when you couple them with a lobby day, because you're able to demonstrate the significance of both sides. You get the national significance and the more like close to home significance. And what we do at Julian Co. with these at-home events is we equip supporters, members, or employees, whomever is going out to meet with the elected representatives with policy recommendations, talking points, tips and tricks to conduct effective meetings with their MPs. And while the grassroots representatives are doing that, we leverage those meetings into opportunities to gain public awareness of the organization's issues. And then we further leverage that into public policy support with the level of government we're targeting. So I guess to sum up the, the whole monologue that I've just given, when you couple these two types of events together, it's a really, really powerful way for organizations of all types to gain public and government support for issues that matter to them. And successfully gaining that support is value that Julian Co. can provide. That's great. And I mean, my next question, you've, you've touched on a little bit about, you know, the why for an organization, but what, you know, maybe you can expand a bit more on the why and, and what types of organizations are, are you usually involved in getting either participating in lobby days or at home events? And, you know, why do they use this as a way to kind of push their, you know, mission, like through, through politics kind of thing? Yeah. So overall, I'd say that lobbying events are a really great way to generate both public and government support for the issues that matter to them. You, you can have a really, really broad swath of organizations that are doing these things. It's pretty much any organization imaginable could benefit from doing it, whether it's a private company, a nonprofit organization, an industry association, a union, like like literally anybody. And like I said earlier, the, the work that governments do shapes our entire lives, whether we think about it or not. And if we're able to engage with that successfully, we can shape the rules and policies that shape our lives. Um, 
in addition to that, there, there are a lot of other positives for doing these events as to other tactical measures too. For one, they're really, really incredibly efficient. You're, you're basically holding a targeted outreach um, or a series of targeted outreach sessions over a really short set period of time. It's, it's basically a blitz. You can have like upwards of 200 meetings in the span of a couple days sometimes. And for a, like a, a bang for your buck kind of factor for a lot of organizations, they'll couple these sorts of lobbying events with an annual general meeting or something just so that they don't have to pay for, you know, extra flights or hotels, things. You, you also are able to expose a broad swath of MPs and their staff to issues or viewpoints that may be new to them or they don't really know that much about and could lead them to being more interested in the issues and more willing to engage or promote a, a certain policy solution or something like that. Related to that, organizations can also put together a list of MPs and staffers that are sympathetic to their cause with which they can use for more targeted outreach later, which makes their further advocacy activities more efficient. And finally, and really, really importantly, these events are huge opportunities to garner attention from the media, whether that's traditional media outlets and reporters or through social media platforms. It's really important a lot of the time for organizations to spark public interest in their issues. And this is the perfect way to do it. That's great. Thanks. And you you talked a little bit about the kind of the designing the event, you know, maybe hosting your AGM in connection with another event. And so I, I think that's a great segue into, you know, what are kind of some of the event design considerations that, you know, if a planner is working on something like this, like what are those factors that you might want to consider about maximizing the event for the organization? Yeah, like with any event, your return on investment is so important. And as Jake said, one of the main ways to do that is to pair it with another one of your your organization's regular events. So an AGM is a good example because you have to get a certain amount of quorum in your space to, to have an AGM. So why not put your members, your organizers, your board of directors in front of MPs to support your cause at that same time? So I think making smart decisions like that. Also, location matters. Jake mentioned uh, Parliament and Queen's Park making your event close to those locations, whether that be at the federal or through to municipal level, I think the location matters. Um, but also like the geographical location matters, but also like the vibe of the space, for lack of a better term. It, it matters because it's so important that your your both your delegates feel comfortable, but also later on that your MPs will want to join you. If you're at like the Motel 6 down the road, the MPs at the federal level anyway might not want to join you for your for your mixer. And that and that's okay, but it's just making smart decisions. And then again, being smart about how you've designed your event for your attendees. It has to be easy for them to join you in whatever you're doing. So as in most cases with event planners, we're looking not only to impress our clients, which are the organizations hosting the lobby day, but we want to those attending lobby days to feel um, comfort and they understand the communication touch points. So whether that's when they click register now on an organization's email, that it was easy to register, or that when they arrive and they check in at registration, that they've got all the materials they need to go on to have these meetings with elected officials. What they would receive is all of Jake's super crazy brain power and advocacy prowess, but it can include things like schedules, the talking points that they'll want to bring up when they're meeting with elected officials, as well as those elected officials background. So we provide all of that to the delegate when they arrive so that they can, they already care and they're so passionate about their cause, but they don't need to be working Worrying about those small details. So designing the event so that your attendee can really just come and, and do their thing and talk to the MPs is super important. Um, 
yeah, and I think the other side of that is designing that that event so that the MP or elected official does want to come to your your mixer later at night. When Jake and I were preparing for this, we talked about the Video Games Association, how their mixer at night obviously had video games for people to play. And I thought that was such a that's such an obvious thing to do, but it's a good example of like just elevating the experience. And elevating the experience doesn't always mean to make it more swanky, but make it an experience. These elected officials come to events all the time where they can get a great cocktail and we're going to do that and we're going to feed them and we're going to have the drinks for them, but you have to make it a more upscale event. And again, upscale doesn't always mean swanky. It just means that there is an experience for this event to have. For sure. I think that's a great point about the experience and kind of tying it into whatever your kind of mission is. And, you know, the video game one is probably the perfect example because it's probably going to stand out. It's going to make you remember. It's going to allow you to connect with, you know, what they're looking for because you've had this great experience. And, you know, that that memory of the experience versus just, oh, I read this thing about a thing it doesn't doesn't get you fired up kind of thing. That's right. That's right. Those those easy identified touch points that these MPs will remember you for are not necessarily your cause. And that's that's unfortunate because the causes are all so important and great and and create change within communities. But they're going to remember that they got to go play a video game at your mixer event more so than your cause. They'll connect the two and it'll stand out to them. Yeah, and, and just to tack on to that too, a lot of these lobby days end up being annual sorts of things. So you you end up getting MPs that really want to come back year after year because you've made it such a really unique, memorable experience. Like Julie said, with the Video Game Association, it was perfect. Like they set up these incredible video games that you can't really find in like other places that the MPs are, you know, they're, they're all older, more established in their careers. You wouldn't really expect them to go crazy for video games, but they do. And then there's also like the Cattlemen's Association being known for having some of the best food. Or, of course, Beer Canada having this amazing assortment of beer that you get to try from regions across the country. It's amazing. And Julie is really talented at finding that unique thing that an organization can focus on for these events and make them something very, very memorable that MPs and other attendees will want to come back to year after year. I think that's uh, so true. The It's always the people you don't expect to get really into something is usually how it goes. And I I always say that if you're trying to design an experience that's got a lot of energy, put people in competition with each other and they just <laughs> go nuts. <laughs> it, I can I can picture it of like them competing on who gets the best score and just that that's the fun things that people remember and joke about and think about later on for sure. And so, you know, we talked about some organizations and, you know, we've talked about associations and I know that like there's so many associations and organizations right now trying to get the government's attention as we, you know, move through this phase of the pandemic, whatever that's going to look like over the next couple of months and, you know, focusing on recovery and and what their industries need. So how does an organization or an association kind of decide if if a lobby day is right for them or, you know, how do they kind of connect with someone like like an organization like Julian Co to kind of get that ball rolling? What does that process look like for them? 
I'm going to let Jake take this one because I can see by the, I know that this is a podcast and people can't see his face, but I can. I'm lucky enough that I get to look at his mug today. Um, I'm going to let Jake take it because he he looks like he's chomping at the bit. He's got a good answer here. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. You, you know me way too well at this point. I do. You know what? I, I think I just reiterate what I've already said, and that's that lobby days and lobbying events in general are a really amazing way for organizations to generate both public and government support for issues that matter to them and shape the world in which they operate. And I, I would also say again, that these events are, they, they, these are events that the Julian Co team has a really strong track record of providing. And they're made even more amazing by having a dedicated experienced event planner and our CEO, Julie, running the show. And that's all I'll say on that, Julie, and I'll let you say what you're looking forward to saying about that. Yeah, how they get in touch with us is pretty easy and pretty pretty <laughs> obvious. However, to know whether it's right or wrong for you, um, I would argue that on some level, we could build a lobby day no matter what the organization, whether that's they're a small organization of, of people and they, they can't take it on because of capacity issues or you know they don't have a big budget. I do think there's ways to build a lobby day um, for anybody. So Jake and I, most of our experience is at the federal level. However, there is opportunities to do this on the smaller level in it within communities. And I don't want people to feel like we talk about lobby days, you know, these big, massive 200 meetings with, with, you know, all the MPs that are in Ottawa at the moment, it, it can be something smaller. So they're really are, they are accessible. And part of, part of what we're offering that's different here is that I'm an event planner. You can find an event planner, many, you can find a good event planner all across Canada. I know many of them. I've worked with them. They're all great. What we're offering that's different is Jake's brain. So that advocacy piece, preparing your message and, and how that looks and feels once you get in front of the elected officials, that's what's different. That's, that's kind of what, where we, that might be missing on your small team. Do you know what I mean? That, that part about how do we deal with government is what we do well. So I think that that's, that's kind of, how you can tell is if you have the capacity to do it on your team, you can probably do it in-house. You should do it. But to approach an event planner is if you don't have that capacity. We, we Obviously, we bring a whole other arm to your organization by, by creating a lobby day for you. Sure. That's great. And then I think, too, you know, we talked about event design a bit earlier, but also I think events are obviously going through a transition right now of, you know, People are still doing things virtually. Hybrid is starting to become more of a, a a focus and and not just a, oh, well, we live streamed something and people could watch it, you know, really tying a hybrid experience as an actual hybrid experience and not just an in-person experience with video recording. So how do you think that's going to kind of impact lobby days in the future? You know, does does that bring more opportunity to lobby days? Like how will that, how do you think that will play out as, as we move through the next kind of year or so? That's that's a really great, great question. I'm probably on top of many people's mind. For the past two years, we've been doing these events 100% virtually and, and it's gone really well. However, as probably any event professional has said a million times in the past, you know, year, um, you can't replace that in-person connection that human interaction brings. So 
I, I think that in a virtual lobby day, it's it's harder to get those meetings in a two-day period because MPs aren't kind of taking you as seriously. They're like, oh, you, you're, you're online? Okay, I can push your meeting till tomorrow at noon when it works better for me. When you've flown there, when you're a constituent and you've flown to Ottawa to talk about whatever your cause is to an MP, they're going to be like, well, shoot, like this really means something. I better listen, you know? And I, and I mean, and, and that's not true in every case. There are MPs that it doesn't matter what you say to them, but I think that that's the difference on, on getting your, your cause or your organization seen in a more serious way, taken in a more serious way. Um, it's for that reason, but also others that like that in-person experience is really irreplaceable. You have a more genuine conversation with somebody when you're in person. I don't know what happens with the screen there, but like it doesn't, it's not as, you're you're more distracted. You have things pulled up on your screen. You have this, you have that. The MP might not, you might not have their full attention in person. You do. And then again, we've, we've talked up this mix, mixer or networking event that we can have. You can't do that on uh, virtually. Jake and I have both tried in different ways, sometimes in the same way. We've we've tried to bring that value of, of networking socials with a drink. It doesn't work. So you're not getting that very good close to your lobby day if you're choosing to have it online. That being said, there is one major positive to doing it virtually, and that is that it is more accessible to more people. It is quite onerous, both financially and in time, to, to have somebody or a couple people fly from point A in the country to Ottawa to come to talk about your cause. It's worth it. It's just some for some people that's not feasible. And when you do it virtually, it is. We've. I also wouldn't necessarily recommend a hybrid lobby day, and and for that's for the reasons we've been talking about. One, it gets messed up when when an MP doesn't want to meet with you on this day, or suddenly they get called into house for a surprise vote, and they have they feel like they can easily reschedule you. That happens in person, but less so. So I think I would just not say that a hybrid model works for lobby days. I feel like you have to go virtually or you have to go all in person. So I think the future of these is that people will want to return to in person as well. But maybe I think Jake agrees with me, but it's not something we've we've talked about before this moment. So I'm putting them <laughs> on the spot a little bit, but I think they work either or and in person is definitely the best option. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Julie. I think everybody is really hungry to get back into doing in-person things, partially because of the finger foods, but also because... <laughs> they don't we, hurt. They don't they, hurt. They, they don't hurt. They're a huge benefit. Um, but it, also because people miss that human interaction. But the one silver lining, I guess, to working through the pandemic over the last two years is that we, we now have the ability to offer either option. And we have experience, like a lot of experience doing both the virtual option and the in-person option. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I always joke that, you know, more more gets learned and more gets accomplished kind of in the buffet line with the finger right. foods, right? right? Because it's where people are, you know, relaxed, they're chatting, you know, that's where the, the connections are really made. And I, I think, Julie, you made a great point of, maybe hybrid isn't for lobby days. And I think that it will be up to event planners to kind of force that within all events that not every event will fit into either a virtual or a hybrid or maybe even an in-person. Maybe some things can stay virtual, but instead of trying to be all things, 
you know, really focusing on where are you going to get value from your investment, that return on investment, like you talked about. And if you can't do it with hybrid, don't try to do it just because some other things will work well in that setup. You're right. I think we're going into a space where hybrid is like a catchword and people Mm -hmm. who aren't event experts are going to be like, yeah, yeah, we need to do it hybrid because that's all I'm hearing. So hybrid is the way to go. It's not with all events, not just lobby day. It's important to look at what works best as you were saying. And I, and for lobby days, hybrid just doesn't work and that's okay. Like it's okay for something not to work in a format. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. We're a little bit bit scared to just be like, Nope, sorry, that doesn't work. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's true, right? It's about trusting your experts, your planners, you know, whoever you have kind of advising you to say, no, this isn't that you're not going to get the experience or the, the meet the objectives that you're looking to meet by trying to do something that this event is not, right? And I think it, you know, we talked about event purpose on the show before so many times, and it just like keeps coming back. Like, what is the purpose? And if you're just doing something because again, like you said, you saw it, someone else did it, someone's talking about it, someone said you should do it. Well, is that really giving you what you what you need? That's yeah, it's, it's our job. That's probably why it's come up so many times is event objectives. Is That's, that's our job. Like that's mm-hmm. the number one thing. Somebody comes to you and you say, here's the objective of the event. Make it happen. It's probably why it keeps coming up. So that's, it's good. It means you're doing something right with your podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I always joke. I Maybe I needed a different name, but that's, that's okay. So I know we're getting up to time. And I there was one other thing that I wanted to, to chat about before we go. And I know that the team has, you know, quite a bit of experience in, you know, crisis communications and public relations, which I think is, that could be a whole other podcast on its own, a whole other episode of what public Definitely. relations really is and what they do and why you might need it. But like, what are some ways that like event planners might want to work with a PR agency or a communications person? And, you know, what, what can kind of be done ahead of time? You know, event planners are always thinking of crises that might come up, right? Whether it's weather or, you know, a strike or, I mean, the pandemic, obviously, but, you know, sometimes it's the the venue flooded, right? So like, how do you kind of plan to get those communications running smoothly so that it's, I mean, it's probably going to be a bit of a scramble, but a, a controlled scramble. Right, right. First of all, thank you for this question, because it was made for me. Like that I am, I'm an event planner. However, my education and, and some of that specialist, PR specialist nature it is me who I am as a person. So I love this question. But I'd argue that most event planners are in some way trained in crisis management, whether that's formal training or just like you've been doing this for 20 years and you've seen everything and anything or you thought you have. Um, <laughs> but we're always measuring the risks. And we know that there are unfortunately things that we cannot control but we're usually ready with some sort of backup plan. And a good event planner won't panic externally anyway when something goes wrong. But there are definitely ways for planners to prep risk mitigation strategies. Jake mentioned a little bit earlier how lobby days specifically can garner some attention from the media, depending on what kind of what the organization's cause is and and the way we've gone about it. But we can get press attention. The press, <laughs> depends on what's happening in the news. The news has been very busy, especially in Ottawa over this past little bit. So that it's, it's a good example of how we can't guarantee it. But getting media attention is a whole different strategy that we can work on for an event. And it works well with lobby days. Um, but again, for any event, risk management is an essential part of the planning process to ensure you're able to respond quickly and appropriately. But a PR person can help you with communications as you as you pointed to in your explanation of the question. Um, 
so knowing your risks and developing those strategies to eliminate and mitigate them is you're you're on your way to creating a safe and secure event. The responsibility of keeping staff and attendees has kept me awake more nights than I'm willing to admit. <laughs> in those hotels, beds not being comfy because I'm not at my house with my blanket covered, being like, oh my gosh, I hope everybody's okay at the event. You know what I mean? Like just that sort of thing. But by creating and understanding your organization or the organization that you work for is duty of care program, you're doing well, you're, you have all your bases covered. But again, when something does happen, because they do, like we, we can't as event professionals say that every event we do runs smoothly. That's I, I don't live in that world. Mm -hmm. Things happen that are outside of our control. And then a PR person can help you spin the message the right way. Um, so as well as help you to understand how to communicate with your attendees in a timely and appropriate way. Messaging is often key when you're trying to downplay the crisis. One thing that I think the pandemic will see post pandemic or kind of as we ease out of being in a, a pandemic is that more organizations will be planning lobby days or otherwise. They should be prepared in the event that their event becomes a super spreader. Uh, you'll, you, we all know that that's, that's possible. <laughs> it's, it's, we hope not. And we're all going to follow the rules and regulations and everything like that. But I think organizations are going to want to prepare a notice ahead of time to one, tell people about the, any sort of regulations or, or anything that they have to follow, but also prepare a notice just in case something happens at your event. Mm -hmm. um, it's the key to your reputation here. If you're ready to go and you find out that there are 17 people from your event that now have COVID and you quickly, but very calmly, just send a notice out to everybody being like, Hey, this happened. You might want to get tested. Here are the steps that you have to follow. It's, it's not going to be as big of a deal. I think the way you handle things is very, is very important in this situation. So that's, that's generally how a PR person could help you control your messaging or a communications person. I think that they're, they're often intertwined, but PR can definitely help you get the media attention and then a good comms person can help you prepare for any sort of crisis. And again, super spreader event, maybe not what we would have called a crisis before, but, it, but how you communicate it can be seen as a crisis as well. For sure. And I think even kind of the pre-comms, like you mentioned, of just making sure that everyone knows what's expected of them, whether it's in regards to COVID protocols, you know, different places have different rules around vaccine passports and masks and, and distancing and, and those rules keep changing. And so I think, you know, like you said, having that communication ready ahead of time to make sure that people aren't surprised when they show up and they're being told to wear a mask, but maybe where they, they live, they're not being asked to wear a mask anymore. Right. So I think, having really clear communication kind of coming into event might also eliminate some issues on site if people know what to expect, right? Versus if they show up and they weren't expecting to be asked or, you know, to do a screening or whatever the case is, you're just going to minimize that, that friction and, and can make it run a little smoother as well. Absolutely. You never want to surprise an event attendee. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's the perfect line to end on. <laughs> <laughs> I might make that, that that'll be the title of the the episode for sure That's but great. it's it's That's true it's true so with that you know I do want to thank you both for being on the show today and you know also want to give you an opportunity to let people know where to find out more about the organization or where both of you can be found and anything else you might want to share 
Of course. So you can find the organization at our website, which is julieandco.ca. I hang out a lot on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can find me LinkedIn. My last name is McNamara. So Julie McNamara on LinkedIn. And I'll let Jake speak for himself. Pretty much the exact same thing as I would have said. I am pretty much always on LinkedIn. It's my favorite social networking platform, which I, I don't interpret that as you will. But yeah, other than that, I would really encourage people to go to the Julian Co. website and check out our story. It is a very unique one, and I'm sure you would be very interested in reading it and checking out our public affairs and corporate events services. For sure. Well, thank you so much. I'll leave you know, all the links to find um, that info in the show notes for sure. So thank you again so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us on social media and share your thoughts on this week's episode. This episode was brought to you by The Right Stuff Agency and GateCheck. Don't forget, Beyond the BEO is a preferred provider of CMP clock hours. Complete the quiz in the show notes to receive your certificate. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and keep an eye out for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Until next time.